Hi, this is Jim Colton, and this is the Driven Golf Podcast. Each episode, our aim is to inspire young golfers to pursue this great game with drive and passion, while highlighting those across the golf world who are using their love of the game to make a positive impact. Our first guest is Andrew Lewis, an instructor based in Dallas and father of a competitive junior player. Before we get to Andrew, I want to give a shout out to our friends at Flagbag Golf Company. Flagbag produces these really cool golf bags and accessories using repurposed golf flags. They make that perfect gift for that passionate golfer in your life, and both Josh and Matt are true golf junkies who are great to work with. Right now, they're offering a free customized flag head cover with the purchase of any of their bespoke golf bags. Go to flagbaggolfco.com for more details and mention Driven Golf to receive this exclusive offer. With that, here's episode one with my guest, Andrew Lewis. All right, welcome, uh, Andrew Lewis, the first guest of the Driven Golf Podcast. How are you feeling? Exciting times. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for thinking of me. Yeah, uh, just for full disclosure, Andrew is uh, my son, Luke's instructor, and uh, I've gotten to know him quite a bit over the last uh, few years, and I, I like to think that we're great friends. Uh, also, his son is a competitive uh, junior player, probably my son's uh, best friend here in, uh, in Dallas, Texas. So, Andrew, it's, it's super exciting to have you on. I know we've talked a lot of golf uh, over these past couple of years and been on this journey together. So, in any case, the, the Driven Golf Podcast, really, our goal is to two things. One is to help junior golfers pursue this game, be as good as they can be, really just with, with drive and passion, and also to show them this big world of, of golf and all these different avenues of golf where folks are really just driving, positively impacting the game, really because of their love of the game. And I think that those stories really need to be told. And I hope, hope we give those folks a platform here through this podcast. A little bit of background on Andrew, uh, based here in Dallas, Texas, um, coaches out of Sherrill Park. Uh, he's one of Golf Digest's best young teachers in America, I think for a, for a few years running, for sure. And like I said, I met Andrew about three and a half, four years ago uh, when my family decided to, was considering actually moving to Texas. Um, and, uh, my son hadn't had an instructor up until that time. He was 12 years old at the time. Andrew, do you remember that first, uh, first meeting we had? It was in December. <sighs> so did we start with an in-person or did we start with remote coaching? I can't remember. We were searching for homes in the Texas area, looking to relocate from Chicago. And we came down in December, I think it was December 28th, it was a couple of days after Christmas, came down, looked some houses and you met, uh, for two hours with, uh, with my son, Luke. The first session is, yeah, the first session is blurry in my memory, except that I think you sent me a picture recently. So I vaguely remember, but I remember thinking, man, this kid seems to be able to hit the center of the club face a lot. <laughs> so yeah, it was pretty easy to see. He had some pretty good skills. With a, with a 10, with a 10 finger baseball grip. 10 finger. Open stance, pull cuts, yes. <laughs> Lots of things that we try to fight these days. But yeah, I, I can definitely remember early on that I thought he was he was pretty good. Yeah, and I can honestly say it's been it's been a fantastic relationship. I really couldn't possibly ask for a better kind of coach player parent uh synergy. And it's really just been awesome to be on this journey, uh, both with you and Luke and uh, you know, getting to know your family as well. But let, let's let our podcast uh, listeners in a little bit 
can you tell us a little bit about like your origin story in golf? I kind of think of it as like if Marvel were to make a, a superhero movie about you loosely based on your life, uh, what's your or- origin story in the game? And if you said like, what was your one kind of golf superpower, what would it be? And then also like, was there a point in your life when you just realized that like golf was going to be your main thing or golf instruction was going to be your main thing? Yeah. Yeah. So I I think I have a unique background with golf in that I didn't really grow up playing golf. The first time I touched a club, I was 11. We did a family vacation to Arkansas and I'm using my dad's like excessively long, excessively heavy blades that were probably like 20 years old. But I remember on like the 17th hole, I hit the six iron. And at that moment, I was I was hooked. Uh, At that time, I was playing like highly competitive baseball. So over the years, like golf was never really an option for me because it's really it was really hard to play baseball and golf, especially when it comes to like batting and the difference in like the planes relative to each other. So I got hurt playing baseball when I was 16. And that's really when I started to play golf a lot. Like I was going every day after school. Eventually later that year, I quit baseball to play golf full time. Um, But I never played a tournament in high school. My first tournament I ever played was in college. I went to a very small division three school at the time, University of Texas at Dallas. And Competitive golf was, and still to this day, is not very comfortable for me. But I loved it. At the time, I thought, well, I could be a tour player. You know, it can't be that hard. I'm going to try. Little did I know, my 80, 77, 80 at the gates was was pretty close to just how I play. So I never really went down the road of playing uh, professional golf. I was taking lessons in college. I didn't take a lot of lessons, but I really, I started to think that if I were going to to do a job in golf. It was probably going to be something in the coaching realm. I did have a job at a golf course uh, when I was in college, making a very, very poor wage, being a behind-the-counter jockey, calling out tee time, scooping range balls, people yelling at me about Carpath only, what's the weather like today? All those generic questions that about six months of that, and I knew that if I was going to stick in golf, it was probably going to be in coaching. And uh, that was back in uh, 2005 is probably when I start, started having those thoughts of this is something that I could do. Um, and then 2008 is really when I started coaching. Started coaching, I mean, from the get-go, which is kind of what I still do now. I started coaching kids, group training classes with very little knowledge, but a lot of like eagerness to try to do it. And uh, that was really the origin right here, right in Frisco, at Plantation Golf Club in Frisco. So, yeah, Uh, my superpower has changed over the years. I would say now it's that I don't have to practice and I go shoot 73 pretty much every day. (laughs) Oh, man, I I wish I I would pay anything for that. Yes. Well, you can, you know, you can pay me and I can help you get there. But (laughs) yeah, and I don't know why that is. I think the the more that I take time off, I think there's something about like keeping it simple. Like I don't overthink my swing. I pay attention to like the best places to miss because I'm probably going to miss the green. Um, as far as a skill, though, my short game is, I mean, I would say my, skill, my short game is world class. Like if I were to do a short game contest with an average PJ Tour player, I think I could give them a run for their money. So that's that's probably my my Hulk Marvel superpower. That's, that's fantastic. 
Yeah, I mean, I think the short, you mentioned the short game, and I just wanted to say, like, like as I mentioned, my son Luke never had any, had a formal instruction prior to us moving down here and prior to him working with you. So most of his golf development was just him and I just like trying to beat each other's brains in on the golf course. And, uh, you know, we'll talk a little bit about, uh, about that in terms of like raising kids, uh, into the game of golf. But I, I sort of knew when he got to a point where like, I couldn't, there wasn't anything else that I could teach him. And I think one of the things that he picked up on real fast through working with you is a lot of those finer points around shots around the green, how to save shots around the green or like, which, what shot to hit around the green. And I think I see a lot, you see a lot of, I mean, just in my game or others games, you lose a lot of shots that, that because like, you know, you're uncertain about which shot is the right shot. And that's always like doomed to failure. Yeah. If you, if you're not a hundred percent committed on like the shot and then much less like maybe trying a shot that you don't really know how to execute. So I think um, you've helped him really discern the lie and you know, what's the right shot for that situation and really obviously trying to how to execute execute different shots and i really see that's been uh, probably one of the, the greatest strides that he's made in the game over these past few years yeah one of the that makes me think about like kids that i see that have haven't had a lot of coaching that have decently good short games like i'm sure if i remember look back at my notes i'm sure luke's short game was good but so few kids like develop a deep enough toolbox to where their their short game is going to travel as shots get harder, greens get faster. You have to add loft. You have to learn to add spin. And so even, you know, even when I have a 10, 11, 12 year old, that's good. I immediately start going into how to develop as many shots as possible, even if they don't need them right now. Like maybe they chip with a pitching wedge long sided. Well, that's probably not going to last very, very long. It's okay. At, you know, slower greens, Bermuda greens. But when you start playing, for example, a U.S. amateur or some of these AJG invitationals, like I think it's really served Luke well that we started doing that stuff three or four years ago to where he has he has pretty much every shot he needs. Maybe there's a couple, but for the most part, like he sets up for a shot and goes, I feel like I know what I'm supposed to do here, which for whatever reason, a lot of coaches just don't necessarily have that same like passion for developing that side of the short game. Yeah, that's great. Okay. Uh, well, setting the stage for the rest of the episode, we touched base on it a little bit, but wanted to talk about just like raising kids into the game of golf. Uh, the other thing I want to want to talk about is I think you have a unique perspective, uh, given your son is a competitive junior golfer and you're also his swing instructor. And I think that creates some interesting dynamics that I would love to explore in a little bit more detail. And then I think both of us have some perspectives in terms of lessons learned or even mistakes that have been made bringing kids up through the game and would just love to share a perspective. I know I don't have all the answers and I know that <laughs> I probably made every mistake in the book, but uh, if there's any you know wisdom or, or guidance we can provide to other you know, maybe parents that are listening, I think that would be extremely helpful. And then we have a couple other things, just fun things we're going to talk about. Uh, one, uh, full disclosure, I've had one lesson in the last five years and it's with Andrew <laughs> Lewis. Uh, so just wanted to give a little bit of, uh, hopefully get a little bit of honest feedback from you in terms of where my game is going. And then um, our producer, Joseph, is going to jump on 
and talk about some really interesting developments um, in the junior golf world uh, that I would hope to explore. So we have this segment called The Big Idea. Uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a little bit. So in any case, young golfers. I, I have a lot of friends have younger kids, and I get this question a lot. You know, how, how did you get Luke started in the game? What are some of the secrets? What are some of the tips uh, that you have for, you know, even four or five years, four or five years old introducing uh, young kids in the game? So I asked you to, to mention three things. I, I have a list of my own. Uh, but why don't we start with yours and then we can riff uh, from there. Yeah, I think the the top of the pyramid would be like the idea of ignition. And ignition would be like a rocket taking off. Like how do you create this idea inside a kid that makes them want to do this more? Not necessarily be good at it, but just they show up every day and go, Dad, Mom, I want to go to the golf course. And the, and the beginning of that would just be fun. And something that they would look forward to doing. So, you know, some things that I did with Cameron, as much as you can, you have to gamify golf. When you go to the, when you go to the range and you're telling a kid to like just hit his pitching wedge at said target, he doesn't care about the target. He just wants to, you know, see the ball go in the air and you make a bunch of loud noise or do some type of game who can hit it further or who can hit it closer to the bucket. Um, tons of short game, tons of putting games where form be forgotten. It does not matter. It doesn't matter what their swing looks like. It doesn't matter what their grip looks like. You're just trying to get them to have a good time. No one ever had a bad time getting ice cream. So at the end of every session, I would always take my son. We would go get ice cream and we'd sit outside, maybe not outside. We would sit inside. It's too hot in Texas. And, uh, you know, we, it would just be like this. We're going to the golf course. We're going to get ice cream time. And who doesn't like to do that? So he's four or five years old. Other than that, doing things that set the kids up for success. Like if, if once they have that ignition a little bit, you know, I think the, the biggest pet peeve I have with kids playing golf is probably their clubs. Like when I see a kid show up to the driving range and he has a club that's like six or eight inches too long, like the likelihood of him hitting one good shot is, is pretty low. <laughs> so if you are going to, Try to get them to enjoy it. I would say you've got to find some equipment that is like a half decent. It doesn't have to be brand new. It could be used. The best, the best stuff on the market that's most successful is definitely US kids stuff. It's based on size, uh, height. So it's very, very user friendly. You can get it at most golf retailers. You can also get it online. But yeah, get your kids stuff that, you know, isn't your stuff from like last year. Your tailor-made burner or something <laughs> that's 45 inches long. <laughs> I don't know if the four-year-old's going to do very well with that. Uh, you mentioned Target and maybe not caring about the Target. There is one Target that every kid loves. And every, yes. I think, older kid loves. And that's the range picker. And adults, yes. <laughs> yeah, and adults. So there's, I think there's very few thrills, maybe getting a hole-in-one, but like uh, more than than hitting the range picker. So I think... Uh, Sorry for all the range picker drivers out there in the that golf world. That used to be me. That was me in college. Yeah. So did you? Another one of those experiences that led me to not, yeah, to, <laughs> to be a golf coach. <laughs> so in any case, bring your kids out there. See that range picker. Have at it, man. It's it's Go free. It's free game. And get some ice cream. Yeah, exactly. Get some yeah. game. Get some ice cream after that. Yeah. Yeah. The only other thing that I would say in like raising your kids, again, maybe a little bit past the de- 
the early developmental stage, let's say they can hit the ball in the air. You're going pretty frequently. Like I, I pretty strongly disagree with like teach your kid to swing as fast as possible. I know that like, there's a lot of data out there that says, you know, they can learn accuracy later. I just don't see that. I don't see kids that can't hit it very straight, get much, much straighter as they gain speed. And maybe I'm a little biased because we'll get to this, but my son hits it fairly straight, always has. And as he's gained club head speed, he continues to hit it down the middle of the fairway most of the time. So as you do get your son or daughter into it, like focus on hitting the ball, developing ball control, not just being obsessed with club head speed. Club head speed will come with time. Accuracy will not. We will maybe talk about that a little bit in your in your your segment, Jim, a little bit later. <laughs> the accuracy is I think this is find. where... Yeah, I had to maybe blame my dad. Maybe this is where where it all went wrong. Yeah, yeah, you do hit it far. <laughs> so there you go. That, that you're the example of yeah, you can hit it far. We got to find the uh, the club face in the center of the fairway. Yeah, I just wanted to touch base on a couple of things you said. So you talked about gamification. Uh, the only thing that I would add to that is, from my perspective, is you you set up the game. So it's, it's sort of rigged, like they're Vegas in the equation, right? It's sort of rigged in their favor. Maybe they have a 60, 70, 75% chance of winning based on their age. And you try like heck to beat them. Like you do everything you can to beat them. Yeah, give them a handicap or give yourself a handicap. You know, it teaches them to compete. And actually you'll get better as a result too, because you have, you have higher odds or whatever. Like you, um, you know, you'll start to hit shots and, and just really engage. So don't like, don't let your kids win. Just kind of rig the game in their favor and then just try like heck to beat them. You mentioned like about the swing speed stuff. Like my motto for my kids as they were when I was first getting them in the game was swing as hard as you can without falling over. <laughs> so maybe <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's counter uh, yeah, to, it's what, the middle of the road. Yeah. to what you mentioned. But the one thing you mentioned about the club, so folks, listeners can't see it, but I wanted to show you, you might get a kick out of this. So this is Luke's first U.S. kids uh, three wood. Lovely. And this this is really like a million dollar idea. I should I should save this for a big idea. But on the face of the club, I drew with a sharpie, uh, just a just a funny kind of face, and the nose is like right in the sweet spot. So I would tell my kids like hit the ball off the guy's nose. So maybe that's where he learned to swing hard, but also like you know the try to hit in the sweet spot and yeah. learn some of that ball control that you mentioned. So. If anybody wants to run with that idea and make millions of dollars, just remember where you heard it first and maybe you'd be a future, uh, future sponsor of the podcast. Did you make that up yourself? Yeah. 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 So, so I think that's a good point. You made that up yourself. You didn't have a coach. You have anyone like telling you, maybe that's like a, another lesson learned, like as a parent starting out early, it's highly unlikely that you're going to do something that's going to screw up your kid's golf game. Like, if you have an idea like that, especially if it's specific to like a kid, let's say he loves like smiley faces or you know, whatever, you know, that he may respond really well to that. Maybe it's putting a sticker on the club face. I don't know. If it was my daughter, she would want to put, yeah, uh, bluey stickers on the club face. <laughs> so, you know, if you have a creative idea, like you don't need a coach necessarily when someone's four or five to learn to hit the middle of the club face. The kid will probably be able to figure that out. Well, I got to tell you, like U.S. kids should run a focus group, test the smiley face, club face. In a golf store, the kid's going to pick the smiley face versus the non-smiley face. Yeah, for sure. Ten times out of ten, right? So, Well, they did put a star on it, right? Like yeah. they're, they're thinking in the right idea. Let's put something attractive to a, 
five-year-old. Yeah. The only other thing that I would say is, um, now look, like I, like I said, I don't have all the answers. I tried all of these same, same things with Luke's two older siblings and they don't play the game currently. So I, I made my share of mistakes. Some of these things worked. Some of them didn't a little bit of trial and error. Uh, some of that's on me, uh, frankly, but I think the other thing I wanted to add is just like, a, like read the room. So like, if your kid's like having a blast and it's time to go back f- for dinner, but he's having, he's having all the fun in the world, dinner can wait. Like, <laughs> you know, you can, you can, you can be out there till it gets dark if your kid wants to, to be out there. Also, uh, conversely, you know, if the kid's just getting frustrated, like you got, like, don't just try to power it through or don't try to give him, you know, the swing tip or don't get on his case if it's not going well, just like pack it in and, and come back you know, the next day and, and he'll forget all about it. Like you said, the ice cream yeah. is the great uh, savior. All Absolutely. Of this. The other thing is, as you get onto the course, I would say match play is your friend. I think that the one thing with, with kids, sometimes they make really big numbers, right? And it can become very frustrating. But if you have a match play and it's, you know, just like match play today, like big numbers don't really count against you. They kind of keep you in the game. We always played match play growing up. Yeah, that does make me think of another point, I guess, as we keep doing this, more stuff will pop up. But a, a mistake I frequently see with parents is they have the kids play from too far of yardages. Even if you're playing from like 50 yards out or 30 yards out, I would play in a spot that you think that they can make a legitimate par, like a four or a five or a three on a par three. Uh, there's a great organization called Operation 36 where when they have beginner golfers, they start on the putting green and they do like, nine hole matches and you have to shoot 36 before you would move back. Just the idea that you move back as you can shoot around even par. And as you get further and further away, obviously you get, that gets more complicated. But so that teeing the kit, a kid off from like the red tees, 5,000 yards, you're basically setting them up to probably make an eight or a 10 on the hole, even if they don't necessarily do anything bad just because they don't hit it far enough. So it when in doubt, just put the kid as close to the hole as possible. Yeah, that's great advice. All right, let's uh, let's switch gears. You mentioned you mentioned Cameron. Cameron is a high school freshman. Cameron's a high school freshman. He's going to be fifteen here in a few months. Class of twenty twenty seven. Oh yeah. He's he's had some great success this uh, this summer. Won won a couple events. Uh, I've I've watched Cameron uh, play, and it's no surprise based on your superpower. Cameron has really one of the best short games I've ever seen. Yes, he does. Uh, so I would <laughs> I would love to port that. Uh, over from him but I think you have a very unique experience uh, being both his parent and also his swing instructor so I you know examples that I think of you know Justin Thomas and and his dad like if if anyone saw the first episode of Full Swing it got me the most like seeing the interaction between the dad and him when he won the PGA championship you know at at Southern Hills yeah Uh, Cameron Cameron Young and I, I believe his dad's a PGA professional and even on the college scene, like Preston Summerhays at Arizona State, uh, his dad Boyd is Tony Finau and yeah, and others uh, swing coach. So I imagine you have to walk this sort of that thin line, right, between like when to be a coach, when to be a parent. Some sometimes you get it right, sometimes you don't get it right. Because can you talk a little like just open and honestly about you know how how that how that goes and like what what are the ups and downs that come with that. Yeah, it's kind of a moving target because, you know, when Cameron was nine or 10 and he was starting to play competitively, I had to be much more of a coach 
than I am now because not that he has learned everything he's going to learn from me, but his mistakes he can identify for himself most of the time. So I think the hard part for me right now is being able to just be getting out of that coaching role just because one, it's not as necessary, but two, it's, it's more important for a kid to have a supportive, loving dad than to have a coach five or 10 minutes after he played. Like Cameron doesn't need to know 10 minutes after he played everything that I think he did good and bad. Like when a normal client has a lesson, I'll talk about their round. It could be weeks after in all seriousness, like, the hardest part is for me not to jump into coaching mode five or 10 minutes after and just to sit there and tell Cameron, hey, I love you, whether he played good or bad, and say, I enjoyed watching you today. That is one of the hardest things for me to do just because when I'm at these events, not only is Cameron there, but on a given day, there's probably 10 to 15 kids that I coach there and balancing like, I'm not their dad, I am their golf coach. And they're always wanting, not always, many of them are looking for some type of affirmation or some type of coaching little nugget. And you watch me hit, check out this putt, anything for strategy, like all, you know, just, and I want to be helpful. Like that's, that's part of my role, but I've already had all those conversations with Cameron. So just being dad is what I strive to be. And I'm, and I'm frankly having to learn because he's just now having a level of success and being able to be self-sufficient for the first time in his life, which which maybe <laughs> is hard for me because he just doesn't need me as much. Um, and then knowing when, okay, now it's time to be coach, you know, a week out of the event or when we're reflecting a few days later. So that's probably a good message for parents too, because I'm sure there's a lot of dads who who feel like they're coach. You know, even though they may have an instructor, I'm sure you feel like you're part of their golfing sphere, which they are. Um, at events, post-event, it's just not the time to be coach. It's the time to be dad. It's the time to tell your kid how much you love them. It's your time to just be there for them and not to talk about their performance, which is which is very, very hard. Yeah, I think, like I said, I've I've made a lot of mistakes on, on that front, but I think... Um you know, I think we're in a good place. I, I could, I could think about earlier this summer, as you know, like Luke uh, performed really well at the Die Junior Invitational at Crooked Stick. And you could have your parents caddy for you, but I, I just had the local caddies caddy for him. And then I actually had members come up to me because he was in contention down the stretch. It was back and forth. He ended up losing in a playoff. But I had members come up to me. It's like, how, how are you so calm? I just have to commend you for being so calm. And I was like, Thinking to myself, like, well, you should have seen me at the last tournament, or you should have seen me like <laughs> yeah. six six months ago, right? And it's it's been a you know it's a journey for them. I think it's a journey for us as as golf parents as well. But I think the one thing I've learned is similar to what you said because I'm not his swing instructor, but you know I do his statistical analysis and and offer some some input there as well. But it's it's really sort of I think of him as like the customer in that realm. It's like when when do you want to have that discussion? You know, when you're ready, like when you're post tournament, after you've been home a couple of days to digest and think about what are, what were the takeaways from that event? What are the stats saying? And like, what does that mean for the next tournament? 
kind of day to day. Like I might get a recap on the round. I, uh, my wife takes, um, Sue takes him to a lot of tournaments. I might get a re- recap that evening, but a lot of what we focus on is just, I just, you know, we're just talking golf. Like, yeah, like you would tell your buddy about the round, but the only thing we're really talking about is like kind of what's, you know, what's your mindset going into the next day, you know, just kind of frame, make sure that's, that's in a good place. Uh, but not really focusing on like, you know, what were you thinking, like hitting that seven iron on that hole or whatever? Yeah. You know, that sort of thing. Yeah, I know it, it is tough, but it is a skill. All of these things are skills. So you're, you're, but I, I, I would agree. Like you frequent, frequently don't even watch Luke play. You know, I, I have a hard time at this point, not watching camera play mainly because I just want to be there. But I'm like, oh, maybe I need to be there because maybe there's something I can do to help him in his warm up. So I wasn't at his last event and he played really bad the last day. So I was like, man, I should have been there. <laughs> maybe I could have said something <laughs> that would have helped him. But it's also good for him to like get away from having dad there all the time. You know, having coach. Let's uh, let's talk about like when it's really going south and you're there and you feel powerless and helpless to do anything about it. We've all been there. Yeah. What are the challenges with that? Especially as an instructor, I think, you know, the body language, they're looking for you to, for reassurance or, or looking over to you after a bad shot, but like they can pick up when we're frustrated. Right. I think that's one thing parents should try to understand, even if you're not like, audibly doing anything, yeah. but like just kind of the way you, you wear and live and die by their shots. Right. Yeah. I think the hardest, I think some of it's on the player, like, Cameron will try to come talk to me and, or, or just anything, you know, he'll kind of like make a signal. And I mean, I, there's nothing that I could say, like, even if I could call a timeout, what am I going to say that's going to make him play better? Hey, your hands are getting a little bit deep and laid off. Why don't you? Okay, great. What are you going to go fix that? Hit a bucket of balls. And so, you know, it's on him to realize that, he has to turn into self-preservation. I know I don't have any ball control. And then for me, it's to just not, not say anything, not give him any advice and to just sit there and not <laughs> try not to show any emotion, which, which for me is walking ahead. Like I, I get as far away as I can. I usually am ahead anyways, but like the last thing I need to do is be like 10 yards away from him. Just go ahead and Go to the next shot. Go to the next shot. And which, I mean, I've had in my years, I mean, I've been very, very frustrated watching him golf, play golf. And so it's very hard for me to not be emotional at times. So the easiest thing to do is just not be around, like honestly for me. And I've learned that over the years. So if I'm 300 yards away, you know, if I'm getting a little bit frustrated, he probably doesn't know that. You know, if I'm standing right in the tee and I've got my arms crossed, looking at him, shaking my head. Like, I'm pretty sure he knows that I'm a little bit frustrated. One of the reasons though that I enjoy still playing competitive golf is so that I can understand like how hard, even though I do shoot 73 every day, how hard it is (laughs) to play competitive golf. So I find those moments fewer and far between, especially if I know he's shown up to the event prepared. It's just hard. So like, I just try to tell myself, I did post on Instagram last note a few weeks ago like my caddy goals list, which really has turned into my observation list. And I, I'd encourage anyone listening to go check that out. If like you struggle with just like being supportive dad, because I mean, I had to write it out. 
I had to write out like how I wanted to be and like read that before I would tee off almost like affirmations as a player. Like maybe I say before I play, no one's more prepared than me. Well, as a dad, I got to say, no one loves my, no one's going to show love to their kid more than me today. Something like that. And if I can remind myself of that, I'm usually in a better place mentally to deal with the bad golf. Yeah, that's great. Uh, you mentioned your Instagram account. It's uh, at andrewlewisgolf.com. There's a lot of great, there's a lot of great content on there. You'll see a lot of lefty swings on there uh, from us. <laughs> yeah. a, a couple of things, well, you know, a couple of things that you gotta I- got to give uh, the people what they want. Yeah, yeah. we're taking over one, uh, one golfer at a time. That's right. A lot of actually a lot of elite junior golfers that I notice more and more lefties, it seems like for whatever yeah. reason, I have no idea what's going on there. I'm sure there's something about the brain. Yeah. But in any case, a couple of things I enjoy about the content that you put out there. Uh, one, you post a lot of swing videos and usually it's kind of slow-mo. And then I love your reactions, the way that you support uh, your players when they hit a good <laughs> yeah. shot. You got the, yes, sir, or the... <laughs> oh, Yahtzee. I mean, whatever. Yeah. I like to be animated, as you can probably so, tell. So uh, I, I always watch them and then make sure I listen to see what the reaction is at the end. Yes. But there, there are a couple, they're actually easy to find. I think if you kind of scroll through your history, the ones that aren't the swing, the swing videos, you have some, some, I think you call them parent talks, but they're just like you in front of the camera, sometimes walking the fairway during the tournament, sometimes at home after you've had a chance to reflect. Uh, I think it dealing with some of these emotions and struggles and, and challenges that you mentioned earlier. Can you can you talk a little bit about like the genesis of the genesis of that? And you know, also recently you had uh, Instagram Live that I, I think got quite a bit of attention. Live. Uh, you know, celebrating some of the successes right. that your your players had had. So can you talk a little bit about uh, both of those things? Yeah. So the. The first time I did that, Cameron was winning a Legends event, which are with North Texas Legends events are about as as big of an event as you're going to play in, apart from playing like an AJGA, but that's more national. And he was winning heading into day two. And that was just unfamiliar territory. If you would have put a heart rate monitor on me, it was probably like 140 on the first tee, like way more nervous than if I were playing. And um, he started out okay. But I just remember thinking, like, I bet if I'm feeling this and thinking these things, I can only imagine what, like, all these other parents are thinking. So I just decided to start rolling on, like, what I was telling myself, which was that video was about the idea of winning or losing. I'm going to love my son and I'm not going to be a parent that shows love based on performance. I just wanted to keep saying that because I wanted him to win so bad. There's a lot of benefit to winning, like events that you get into. So I was kind of playing all that in my head. And that really isn't a good spot to be because I can't control if he wins. He can't really control if he wins. The only thing that I can control is my reaction to how he plays today. And so when I made that video, it really was just to give parents insight into what I thought was probably a good place for a parent to be. And come to find out like 30 people either came up to me or messaged me saying like, I, I really appreciate you doing that. So that was kind of the first one. And so I started trying to pay attention to when I thought that there was like a good moment to be learned just as a parent and to roll on it kind of. And it's tough, too, because it's like a very vulnerable 
thing to do, which I'm probably more vulnerable than like the average guy, I'd say just as far as like sharing things with like my friends and family. So I, I made another one like a month later about just like kids, you should be incredibly appreciative of your parents and how much they sacrifice for you. Cause I was talking to a dad who had two kids and he said he spent like $60,000 on junior golf last year on top of all the travel, all the missed time for work. And I was just blown away by that because I really hadn't gotten into travel with Cameron and it's only for one kid. And so yeah, that was another one where I was just like, kids need to hear this. You know, I think sometimes the players forget like how much we pour into them. And so that one was another one with parents like, thank you for saying that. I wish my kid kind of understood like how much I help him and do for him. And it's kind of like a thankless job at times. So um, I had some kids even come up to me and say like, hey, thanks for doing that. It was a good reminder to like be more appreciative to my mom and dad. Now, my last one, man, that was just a crazy day. So that was that was a few months ago. That was the same day that Luke qualified for the USAM. So this, this is my day. Luke qualifies for the USAM. I'm pretty sure another kid wins an AJGA. Cameron wins his first Legends event. And then I'm sitting there with one of my clients who just won the Texas State Open qualifier. Just like these, like, bam, 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 bam. Like, and I was just overwhelmed with, like, I can't believe like how good of players that I get to work with. So when I got home, <laughs> I just grabbed a cigar because that's kind of like my, like my hobby. I like to smoke cigars and, and celebrate things. Like, I think there's a lot of people that do things that are really, really incredible and they don't celebrate them. And so I made a point to like, I'm going to show that I'm incredibly grateful for this opportunity and talk about it as an example of, you know, how I want to be outward to, you know, not, not my followers, but just like people that I think people look to me for guidance in some ways. So again, trying to be vulnerable. Obviously I didn't have to do that, but I thought it was kind of cool. Yeah, that was, uh, that was fun. That was a lot of fun. And obviously I had had a role to play or my son had a caddy for my son that day. And then we, uh, we saw that Instagram live that evening. Uh, So that was, that was pretty cool. I, I, I made this observation with, um, maybe you'll remember when we were in Denver together for the U S amateur, I think the one thing I observed about you and I, I think I'm a little bit like this as well is you, there are things like whatever you don't care about, you truly don't care about. Yeah. And you've, you've, you've chosen the four or five, six things that you care about and you pour 200% into those things, you know, your family, your golf, your kids, like, and I think that's great about you. Like I, I made it, I used to like know all these random like sports facts and all this like useless trivia. Uh, even like 10 years ago, I just stopped watching the NFL altogether. Yeah. And I haven't regretted that at all. Like I basically decided like, these are the things that are important to me. You know, my family, my faith, uh, my kids, my golf, and uh, just grow, kind of just pouring into the game of golf in general. And I just focused on those things. And I, I think you only have so much bandwidth, but I think. Yeah. It's what it's meant is that you have these really deep, special relationships with the kids that you instruct. I think it's like supernatural. And I, I think it's definitely unique. One of the reasons we're probably on the Golf Digest list, but just like I, I said in the post, I mean, I don't know if there's a better coach in the world for my son. And I don't even care to find out uh, because I think it's been such a special relationship. But 
any like any guidance around that like like what makes that unique i mean it's any guidance for a you know a parent looking for kind of that similar relationship for their child or wherever they are well i'd say one of the things that because it's not necessarily a decision to treat kids like that like i truly do try to love each one of these kids that i coach in like a very special way but i thought a lot about like the level of attention that my son gets like how much golf i watch him play how much how much conversation we have about his golf and then i think about like tra- you know traditional lessons where a player will show up you help them as much as you can and then you say okay well, i'll see you in 2 weeks to me that's not a relationship that's going to lead to that player's best golf there's no way that it is because they need more of a support now if they have a dad like you who's very supportive and knows a lot about golf like then maybe they're going to be okay but if you take a kid that doesn't necessarily have like a golfing family or a lot of friends that play golf like they can feel very very alone and so i've tried to model my coaching kind of like i do with cameron like i try to create as much touch points as i can like doing practice round with kids doing group training with kids um even starting to like travel with with some of the players that I coach just because that's what's best for them. It's not necessarily always what's best for me and like sacrificing time, but I know that if I want them to reach their potential, which ultimately does benefit me too, if they play well, that's only going to make me more successful. Then those are the things that I have to do. As far as a parent trying to find a coach, I would look, you know, I, I didn't used to believe this, that like where there's smoke, there's fire. Like if there is a coach in your area that seems to be pr- coaching a lot of good juniors and it's not fake. It's very, very hard to take 10, 15, 20, 30 juniors and make a lot of them better. Like if there's a guy that maybe has like one good kid, okay, maybe he's a good coach. But when you see someone that has a very big stable, I I would reach out to that person because likely they're doing something different than everybody else, whether that's their coaching, you know, their technique, or just the relationship that they build. That's great. Look, we could, we we could, and I know we have <laughs> talked about this junior golf landscape and junior golf development for hours. Yes, we have, <laughs> and there, we could cover the whole gamut uh, on a one like twenty hour episode. Uh, but I wanted to just focus on just like the early stage development here, and also let our listeners know a piece of news. Andrew Lewis is going to be a recurring guest on the podcast, and we're going to have a segment, and it's called Angle of Attack with Andrew Lewis, and focused on any questions that parents or junior golfers might have, Uh, but we'll cover one topic in terms of uh, junior golf, hopefully each episode as we roll forward, and I think over time, like we'll have just this whole catalog of different uh, topics and different aspects of, of the junior golf game, so I'm really looking forward to just continuing this conversation. And just like recording a lot of these things that we already that we already talk about, so yeah, I'm excited to. That'll be a lot of fun. Just keep the ball rolling forward. You know, you mentioned you mentioned all those wins that you had in one day, and some of the elite players that you're you're working with. I know you work with college players and some aspiring professionals as well. Uh, there is one special customer that you have <laughs> in your in your stable. That's right. Uh, definitely over the hill, uh, way past his prime. Yeah, you you agreed maybe reluctantly or maybe just because you felt like 
all right, well, I don't want to, I don't want to lose my relationship with Luke. I better take this guy, <laughs> yeah, this guy right. on. But I, well, I had reached fair. out to you. That's not a fair assessment, but I understand <laughs> where you're coming from. <laughs> I had uh, reached out to you sort of desperate. I had a golf trip coming up. Like you said, I had no idea, earthly idea where the ball was going and just needed some help. I really have, I have, I think I have a love hate relationship with you, Andrew, because on one hand, <laughs> I love everything you've done with my son. But I hate the fact that he's gotten so good that it's made him made it almost impossible for me yeah. to beat him. Uh, so I needed I needed you to do me a solid. So we had a lesson earlier this summer. I actually did play really well that week, although I went whatever zero and seven in, in matches out in Colorado. But so this this is a segment we call Jim's Journey, which is like, hey, one of the things I want the kids to understand, juniors that are and, and parents of juniors, like pursue this game, like try to be as good as you can be, like that is great. And I, that is something that honestly will last you a lifetime. Like I played, I played golf at, not at a high level. I played in high school. I was all conference. Uh, wow. I was the MVP of my high school team. Breaking news. But I never, breaking I, news I never got, <laughs> <laughs> I never got a sniff of, of college golf. That wasn't on my radar, but I could tell you quite honestly, like golf means just about more to me than anything. And it is like all my friends, all my relationships, meeting you, uh, meeting Joseph, our producer, like the game has given me so much. And, and for me, like this podcast is just one way of sort of giving back, but just like hope, hopefully kids through these episodes here, like, yeah, I, I, you know, I feel more motivated and inspired to just keep attacking and, and driving in this game, but then also like open to the opportunities that might come out of it. And you, you might have, no idea what might what opportunities might come out of just pursuing the game with the passion, and I, I think I'm a perfect example of that. Just the things, the doors that have opened, and, and things that I've been able to uh, be involved in, and and frankly, like lives you're able to touch and people you're able to meet just through this great game. Uh, so, in any case, with that, how can you help me get better? <laughs> I my goal is to beat Luke at some time in the next like. Three months. And so that means you need to probably shoot significantly under par. <laughs> well, you know, like most adults, you know, we all we did was driving rage time, right? <laughs> so, you know, that that really is an interesting point. Like when I when I coach a competitive player, it's much more comprehensive. When I coach an adult, we really don't do a lot besides ball control. And, and I understand that because most adults just don't hit it good enough to shoot the scores that they want. And they're decent enough at putting and they're decent enough at chipping. But if I could just hit my driver a little bit better. So all that to say, if you really do want to beat Luke, I, I would need to see the rest of your skills. I can take what you're saying that you're good at those. But, hey, I'd like to also <laughs> test it. Maybe, you know, maybe we can play some games like developmental games and I'll <laughs> make it likely that you'll win. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it, in our lesson, if we go back to our lesson, the main thing was you want to be able to hit your driver, which you hit the ball very far. Club head speed was like 114, 115, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. For those that don't have a reference, that's about PGA Tour average these days, uh, which is very impressive. It's faster than me. As I get older, the one thing that goes down is my score, but also my club head speed, um, is you want to be able to find the golf ball. That doesn't mean that you need to be hitting it perfectly straight anything within a 60 yard dispersion is probably good enough uh, and that just wasn't the case so i remember when you've had this problem not to geek out on 
like full swing, but like this early extension problem where the hips thrust towards the ball and you kind of hit this like heel hook. <laughs> so to a degree, you do know where the ball's going. It's probably going right because you're left-handed. <laughs> so, so I remember that um, I think one of the things that makes a good coach is they can, someone can swing full speed and they can leave the lesson hitting it better. And I remember the things that we worked on, the way that I described it, for whatever reason, you left hitting like 10 in a row, just right down the pipe. So I don't know what happened between now and then. Uh, you haven't been checking in with me. so. <laughs> but uh, you'll obviously have the skill to do it. You probably need a little bit more uh, coaching, not only on the, the full swing, but maybe some of the other skills too, if you really want to beat Luke. I think the one thing is uh, just through my golf journey, my golf evolution, I I almost I almost never keep score, really. So I think the thing that the thing that really motivates me is really just the shots that come up throughout the round and just like execute like maybe coming up with a shot that yeah you're not 100 percent sure of, but like you think it, you think it kind of fits uh, what you need on that given hole, and you pull it off. Like the the exhilaration of that, and and sometimes sometimes I'm only engaged when like. I have to get up and like some crazy up and down for par. So like one of the, we talked about golf superpower, like my golf superpower, I think is a result of probably my biggest golf weakness is like, I have no idea where the ball is going, but I have this 35, 40 years experience of trying to get up and down and make par from crazy spots. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Luke and I have, you know, when we play, I'll get in some crazy spot and he'll be like, I'll give you a dollar if uh, you get up and down. And uh, that sort of engages as part of my brain or activates as part of my golf game. Uh, and, and that's kind of the thrill for me. I, I oftentimes pull, pull those shots off. So he never pays me though. Do you, <laughs> yeah. do you have, I'll get on do you have that problem? That. Cameron, yeah, I do too. Yeah. Cameron has no money. So no, I don't, I guess that's why I don't bet him. <laughs> so. Yeah. So in any case, I appreciate the, uh, the honest feedback and assessment of a game. And, and yeah, I think I'm going to get after it this off season and, and who knows it, it, this may be a losing battle. It probably is an uphill battle, but uh, I, I'm willing and open to share it on this podcast, just going through this journey and just show that people it's, it truly is a lifetime journey. That's one of the great, great aspects of this game uh, is that you'll, you'll continue to try to get better. Uh, the other thing I, I, I wanted to mention to you, I was thinking about like Michael Block caught some grief. I, you mentioned your short game out was equivalent to PJ Tour Pro, and it reminds it re- reminded me of Michael Block's like the statement of like, oh, if I had Rory McIlroy's links, yeah, like I'd be the number one player in the world, right? And and people were like quick to jump all over him. I think some people are you're going to see a lot of Michael Block, I think, in the Ryder Cup coverage, and some people have grown tired of him or whatever. But <laughs> I think as golfers. We all have this irrational confidence, right? I mean, I I truly do. Like, I I I think I'm like one Andrew Lewis less than away from, you know, beating Stuart Hagestad in the mid. <laughs> That's year. right. You know, you, you have to I think mean, that yeah. way. Yeah, you have to think that way. So I have no problem with Michael Block thinking that he's he. Well, he he's just like won this uh, Southern California PGA section, so he's playing in the event at Torrey Pines again. So yeah, the cat's good. He's very very good. Yeah, he's good. Um, maybe not as good as me, but he's pretty good. But yeah, especially <laughs> after your next lesson. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, classic.
All right, the next segment of the Driven Golf Podcast is what I'm calling the big idea. The big idea really introduces some new concept. Uh, it might be an idea that I have uh, about revolutionizing the game. It might be just some harebrained idea that I have in the shower uh, one morning, or it might be something in the golf world that is a recent, uh, relatively new development that just requires a little bit of a, a deeper dive. So I've asked uh, my producer, Joseph K to jump on. Hey, Joseph. Hey, Jim. So back in February, the USGA announced that they were starting a national development team, and it's going to focus on six pillars, talent identification, access to competition, national teams, athlete resources, player development and relations, and athlete financial support. And I'll quote a September 12th article written here by Cameron Jordan of Golf Week. The USGA has announced Chris Zambri, a longtime coach who's currently the associate head coach at Pepperdine, will be the new national development team leader. Zambri will be tasked with leading the overall direction of the team, as well as providing support and guidance to elite golfers selected to represent their country in competitions and as part of the national team. So I wanted to get y'all's thoughts on what this means to the world of junior golf. And I'll start with you, Andrew. Yeah, I think it's going to be a game changer. I mean, most countries have some type of national team. Um, I know the the guys on Team Canada really, really well. And if you look at what they've produced from a professional golf standpoint, it's hard to argue that the Team Canada does not have something to do with success. So I can I see this as a, as a huge win. I don't think there's any way this doesn't help junior golf, um, especially as you, they move into college and then professionally. I really do think there's probably going to be some benefit to like Ryder Cups and Solheim Cups because of these players getting together earlier. Like if you look at like the European teams, you know, those guys have known each other since they were kids. And not that the kids here don't know each other, but uh, when they're going to be on these national teams together, I mean, these teams are going to be finding the best, the top ranked kids in the country. And, you know, similar to like Jordan and JT, like that picture where they're hanging out, like that's going to be like this idea where they're coming together and, you know, they're going to be teammates for 10, 15 years moving forward into like golf or like that idea. And obviously not for 10 or 15 years on the same team. But so I think it's a huge win. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to see it. Like you said, it's 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 been lagging in the U.S. relative to other countries. And I think you've seen really the growth of international uh, golfers, especially on the, on the girls' side. Uh, but yeah, if you look at the men's side and, you know, the, the, some of the Ryder Cup uh, history that we've had, um, and also like, uh, you know, you think of the Walker Cup and its process of identifying players. I think this will eventually will be a feeder into uh, future Walker Cup teams. I think as far as like the junior landscape, you know, some of the cool things that they're doing in terms of identifying you know, where there's a need and helping with financial assistance to some of these players. I think in this article that Joseph mentioned, uh, actually one of your players, yeah. Andrew, uh, Charles Nelson. Yeah. Charles Nelson was, uh, was mentioned in an article as getting financial aid to, uh, to enter an AJGA event, which he actually won. Yeah. Uh, my son, my son and was Luke second. A second. <laughs> That's a good one, two punch right there. Yeah. So you had the, you had the one, two, but just like you, you could start to see the USGA really taking this seriously and uh you know formulating this uh this program and it'll be interesting to see how it how it rolls out uh chris ambry is uh obviously well respected in the college golf community uh if folks maybe don't know about him uh he's very analytical if anybody follows decade golf 
Chris actually developed some of the uh, combine and analytical tests that he first developed at USC and ported over uh, to Pepperdine. They're embedded in that in that software, and I, I've done some of those myself just for um, just guiding and aiding in my development. So I'm expecting as I get these kids, it's probably giving them uh, a little bit uh, of tools and development that they they don't they don't have access to, or maybe they don't have access to today. And uh, you know, it's it's not like they're leaving their coach and having to go to a new coach. Is they're just getting supplemented with with additional resources. Uh, to aid in their develop their long run development. Andrew, definitely, thank you for your time. We've covered a bunch of topics tonight. Uh, I definitely look forward to continuing the conversation as we get through future episodes. And I do need to schedule a lesson with you coming up soon. Yes. Well, contact me when you're ready to uh, begin the journey of taking down your son. All right, we got to break it. We got to break it down and, and build it back up. This might be a no. We might... no. I don't. I don't believe in that. But yeah, <laughs> you're so close. Like you said, you're one lesson away. All right, thanks, Andrew. Yeah, it was great. I, I appreciate being on. That was awesome. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Joseph. We'll talk to you guys soon. The Driven Golf Podcast is produced by Joseph K. If you like this episode, like it, subscribe, pass it on to a friend you might be interested. It really helps us out a lot. We'll be back in a couple weeks with the next episode. Until then, remember, in this great game, the journey is the gift. Enjoy the journey.